welcome back to the Power and Lifting Podcast. I'm your host, Solana Lewis. Today, I speak with Gabby Martinez. She is days away from her competition where she'll be going head to head with some of the best in the 67.5 kg weight class in the world at USAPL Mega Nationals. And we really got to dive into how she has been training for this really big meet where it seems like we'll have a nice showdown between her and Samantha Calhoun, how she has been adjusting from being an equipped lifter to just a raw lifter, how she programs for herself and found that that works better for her, and a lot more. We had a great conversation, and I can't wait for y'all to hear this talk. Before we dive into it, let me tell you, if you want to look good in the gym, ladies, and have shirts that have the best things on them about barbells, about weights, about powerlifting, leggings that are high-waisted, they have shorts, they have it all. Girls Who Powerlift Apparel is the bomb.com, guys. Seriously, like I love their stuff. I wear their clothing nearly every single day. It's so awesome. If you want to look good in the gym, use code Solana, save yourself 10%, grab your girls to powerlift apparel. And to fuel your training, you need some pre-workout. 110% has the best pre-workout. It's third-party tested. So if you're competing at nationals, you will not have any issues if you get selected for drug testing. The ingredients are excellent. I like the amount of everything they have. It's like the right amount of caffeine has you feeling good. I just really love their stuff. And they have the best flavors I've ever tasted in pre-workout. So if you want to feel good before your training, 110% from papasubs.com will be what you need to use. Use code Solana, save yourself 10%. And y'all, finally, Leflar Bros. They have everything from your competition tee to your dad hats to joggers. They have graphic tees that have awesome designs on them. And it is run by CB, who is someone who is really helping out the sport of powerlifting by supporting them, by sponsoring different competitions. They're awesome. You want to support an awesome brand that loves powerlifting with unisex clothing? Go ahead, go on leftlawbros.com, use code Solana15, save 15%. And let's dive into today's episode. All right, y'all. I have Gabby Martinez with me and I am so freaking excited because at this moment, we are seven days away from prime time at Mega Nationals. How are you feeling? I am. It feels like seven days away, but it feels like it's still going to be like two weeks away. Time is moving so slow. Yeah, time is weird, bro. It's like, it's so close, but also I'm like, I feel like it's so far until I get on the plane. <laughs> Seriously, my flight doesn't leave until Wednesday. So I'm like counting the minutes down right now. Ah, me too, me too. I'm also Wednesday. I have some clients, girl, who they compete Friday too, and they are leaving Monday. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, all right. God bless y'all. Like, I, <laughs> they're going to be that early. <laughs> <laughs> well rested by their day yes they hopefully will. <laughs> oh, fingers crossed <laughs> but uh so many things to talk about with you because I will be honest and I'm biased because it's my weight class but also I believe it's the most competitive weight class for women in the mega nationals this year so 
the showdown that's about to go down with you and Sam Calhoun is like all that's on my mind for the next week. And I'm so freaking stoked. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, like, let's backtrack before we dive into what's to come next week. I want to start with talking about the Arnolds. Gotcha. I got to see you on the Grand Prix stage. And even though we hit some big numbers, I know it probably didn't go the way that you wanted. So how was the prep going into Arnold's and like, what were you expecting from the Grand Prix? Oh man. So that prep, I was nervous from the second that I sat down to actually write it because I do my own programming. I do my own game day stuff. I do have a handler that I bring with me my boyfriend. Um, and he's also doing the coaching with me with our small business and all that good stuff. But I was so nervous. I think I rewrote the initial prep like three times. I had like three people look over it, make sure it made sense. And then I just kind of went after it. I was like, I wrote it. I'm not changing it. We're just going to do it. And everything went pretty well. Um, I thought meet day was going to go a little bit better. Um, We actually, our Airbnb, funny, funny thing about that. Our Airbnb, we forgot to book. So we last minute, like, I don't remember how many weeks out, but I was like, crap. I got my flight and we forgot to do the, uh, the Airbnb. So we booked a super sketchy last minute Airbnb and it had mold everywhere. It was like under the floor, in the ceilings, in the walls. And so I was sick. Like the second day we were there, I was like sneezing. I couldn't breathe. I could not go to sleep. And so I was like trying not to cough when we got to the Arnold. So I was like, I swear if they kick me out because they think I'm like having COVID or something. I was like, I swear it's just allergies. So I don't even think I took allergy meds. I might've taken one, but I was like, I was like, I don't have a TUE for any of this. So I was like, I don't know how any of that works. So I'm just going to go with it. And it went better than what I was thinking when I woke up that morning because I was still kind of congested and like not able to breathe. But it went benches. That's the first bench like three for three I think I've ever done. I'm not going to lie. So it went okay. Okay, first of all, you were breathing in mold. Like, how is that place allowed to even have people in the Airbnb? Like, what? It was so sketchy. It was like a little house and they divided it into separate units on three different floors. So it was really, really cheap too. So it had like a little kitchen. It, it, I think they were just waiting to see until someone like sent out the health department or something. I have no idea. We didn't even report them. I was just so done with it. Oh my God. Okay. So you got through that, showed up, didn't die, thankfully, from the freaking <laughs> moles at the place. But so, yes, I know that we had, we went two for three on that squat. Would 418 would have been a PR for you, right? Oh, yeah. That would have been a five key PR. Did you ever hit that in training? I did not. The most that I've ever hit in training was actually in prep for the Arnold, and it was 407. Oh, but nice. I tend to hit historically I think I'm at a point where that's starting to not happen for me anymore where I'm going to hit an astounding like amount of weight more on the platform than I do in training uh but in the past I think because I'm so young still like it's always been where like if I don't push an RPE 10 something in the gym whether it be bench squat or deadlift um typically I can get five keys out of my squat it might have been a little bit heavy but we overshot it I think after my second attempt I told my handler I told Mikey I was like, 187. I was like, we'll stick with the plan. And then he was like, 187 is not on the plan. He's like, it's 190 or 192. And I was like, I was like, we'll just stick with the plan, go 190. But I was like, I knew 187 would have been the better call there. So I knew I should have just let him change it. That was my fault. 
Well, one thing you were saying is you do your own programming. So how long have you been doing your own programming? Because you have been competing since you were 17, right? Uh, 16, yes. So that is eight years of competing. So when did you start like doing it for yourself, the programming part? It, pretty much like the first, I, I, I didn't train when I was 16, I'm not gonna lie. When we did athletics and the powerlifting like class that we had, we would eat Cheez-Its from the vending machine during the class because our seniors at the time were like, this is how we do powerlifting. And then when I was a junior and a senior, I like got myself together. I was like, we're going to do it. We're going to like go train. So I would work out with athletics. I was still in softball and volleyball and all that stuff when I was a junior. And then after school, I would drive down the street after school and go work out. Sometimes I'll do it in the morning before school and then I'd have practice and then I'd go back. So I really wouldn't consider it programming or coaching back then until I got to UTSA and then I just did the UTSA programming until I think 20, I'm not, I'm not sure, 2017, I think that summer was when I decided I was going to do ROTC. So that fall and spring of 2017, 2018, I wasn't part of the team. Um, I kind of had to choose, do I want to run and be, you know, BMI okay for Air Force ROTC or do I want to lift and maintain my muscle mass um so I, I dabbled with that mostly because I was scared of not having insurance <laughs> um and then I, I did kind of dabble with other coaches that were offering me just free stuff at the time so Ashikriska gave me a program I did that and I think that was when my bench initially shot up um and then I did one from another guy that was out of our gym he just kind of did my programming for a while and it was uh like hardcore stuff. We're going heavy hundred percent of the time. And I got super fatigued and my hips were so mad at me for a little bit. And then, uh, and then I found my, one of my roommates, um, Joel Garza, he coached me for about a year. He coached me going into raw nationals last year. And then after that, um, I kind of just decided like, you know, I have, like I have my degree now, I'm ready to start coaching. I was like, I think it only makes sense if I coach myself, if I can't do that when I'm the most type A person that I know when it comes to powerlifting, as far as my own coaching and my own training, then, I mean, how am I gonna expect to be coaching and programming for other people? So I've been doing that since, I think right after Raw Nationals last year. So that what fascinates me about that is that there's so many, there's like two ways you can go about that, right? It's either, hey, I'm a coach myself, and I believe like you should 100% be coached by the coaches so you can keep on learning. And then there's what you're doing, which is like, if I can't coach myself, then how can I coach other people if this is what I'm going to do with my life? So I should coach myself, right? And so for me, I'm like, so I'm like, literally the other part of the spectrum, I'm like, bro, like coach, for, like have a coach for life, because I'm just like, nah, like I'm not doing it for myself, because I have to do it for other people. But I find it so fascinating, people who can coach themselves, because it's something that I feel like I legitimately had such a hard time doing because I kept changing it and changing it and changing it. If I had a bad day, I was like, is it me? It's the program. I got to go home and look at it again. So like, how do you kind of deal with that? Like you even said, like you looked over that program for the Grand Prix a few times, how our people look at it, changes sometimes, but then you stop and you're like, this is what I'm doing. Like, how do you know when to stop messing with it and just do what you have written down? So I do actually listen to a couple of podcasts that talk about like strength research and exercise science and all of that stuff. So I was listening to Stronger by Science, Iron Culture. So um, 
Eric Helms is by far my, I think my favorite person to listen to like people talk about research and all of that stuff. Um, but that was one of the episodes that thankfully I kind of stumbled upon at the beginning of all of that. And they said, that's probably the number one mistake that people make when they first start doing all of that is they second guess, they change it. And so there's never any real progress and you have nothing to track because you haven't been like sticking to the plan. So I told myself, I was like, okay, even if it's not perfect, we're going to get all the data down and then we can look at it and make adjustments going forward, which is what I do with my clients anyways. And it was, it was difficult <laughs> for a little bit. I was like, am I good at this? I was like, I don't, maybe I should hire, but I switched for um, really and truly just for money purposes. Like I was switching jobs. I went from serving, making a lot of money and being super stressed out to having a more steady job, but it was just a lower income than I was used to. So that was just a way for me to save money for a little bit. And I had always meant to get another coach or go back to my former coach, but it ended up working out pretty well. And I can experiment with things that I'm interested in learning about. Um, like I, I tend to switch up every off season or like volume block. I switch things up pretty significantly. I'll test out different like strategies for all of that. And then my strength and peaking blocks usually stay the same just because I know exactly what I respond to very well. And until that stops being the case, I'll probably stick with that. Nice. So first of all, Eric Helms is also my favorite person. <laughs> like I, I struggle by science and iron culture. Like every week is going down, listening to them kind of like, yo, free education. That's going to really help me in my business and for myself. Yes. Heck yeah. <laughs> Do you subscribe to math too? I know only because I'm listening to probably seven different podcasts and I'm also in a different like coaching group. That's a Facebook group that I pay for. So that on top of mass, I was, I was starting to do too much. So as much as mass is freaking phenomenal, but I had to like choose one thing to calm down on because I was like, I'm spending all my time doing this and <laughs> oh yeah, I don't blame you. Too much, but yeah, but no mass is freaking like the stuff they put in there. Is so, so good. Um, so yes, can I ask you, you said like your peaking block tends to stay the same because it's working very well for you. What is kind of working well for you? I'm not trying to make you like give away secrets, but like, is there like a, like the, like, like the wave method where it's like, okay, every week we're gonna go a little bit heavier and then we'll drop it down and do it again. Do you like, do you believe in singles every single block? Like, is there anything that's like, this is what I fully believe that works for me that's specific to me for peaking? So the way that I structure it is I'm, I'm only really squatting once a week. I do have a four, I'm only training three days a week right now. I have a fourth day that's optional. Um, that was kind of the training split that I had when I was a server, just because that was like, I'm going in at 11 AM. I have no idea if I'm working all day until close, if I'm going to stay two hours past close, you know, have, you know, there's always that one table that doesn't leave. Um, so that was why. So I was like, I know I can get three days out of the week in the gym, solid two hours, three hours, whatever I need. And I'm also pretty notorious for being at the gym for like six hours at a time. So that was part of it too. Like, I don't need to be there five days a week doing six, five, six hours at the gym. But um, I only squat once a week, really. The second squat day is more of like beltless high bar just to kind of get some soreness out if it's there. And I don't usually do my fourth day. I bench every single day. Um, I have not had any like overuse injuries from that. I do have like a primary bench day, a secondary and a tertiary. And then that accessory day. So my fourth day is pretty much an accessory day. I'm only deadlifting once a week, uh, but I noticed that pause deadlifts all the way up until the meet. If I don't do them, 
I forget how to deadlift on meet day, which I think is part of what happened at the Grand Prix. I don't think I was doing pause deads all the way up until. So my drops right now for deads, I'm hitting my single, you know, and then I'm doing a three by five. Three. I did a four by three with pause deads for drops. And I did kind of change the rep scheme because they are heavier now than I've used to doing for drops. Um, because this is my first year of doing only raw lifting. So it's been a lot different than what I'm used to. But benching every day, if you can tolerate it, I think it's the easiest way to make your bench go up. So you're benching three times a week then? Three three to four times a week, yes. Okay, I was going to say your benching seems to be flying. I mean, you gave us a little <laughs> teaser where you were like, what do you think I hit next? I'm like, I see what you're doing. I see it. <laughs> but well, I, that seems to be flying up though. Yeah, I was I was really shocked. I thought that my squat would be the one that because I'm, I'm at the point where I think it's going to vary where I'm not going to PR on every single thing every single time anymore. So I have to pick and choose where I'm putting all this extra energy into. Uh, bench wasn't one of them. That just kind of naturally happened. So I was like, okay, we'll go with it. But I wanted to let TSS do their reveal with their real lifters. So I did hit 120. Um, and then I posted it right after they posted it. So it was okay. I did tease it and then I was like, I'll let them reveal it because they, they did the whole video for me also. Awesome. And that's another, oh, another thing I want to talk to you about. You were saying like it's your first year going fully raw, which I definitely noticed looking through your history. So how has it been transitioning from like mostly just equipped to just raw? My introduction to powerlifting was um, kind of like my coach walked up, my high school coach at the time walked up and was like, you know, you have really big legs. You're kind of short. Like we're going to stick you in a squat suit and we'll see if you like it and how you do. And then I, I just kept doing it and I loved it. And I think it helped me a lot with, you know, keeping my weight down, body image, you know, it gave me motivation and purpose. Um, so equipped is definitely my first love. That's where I got into the sport. And then um, I actually like going into collegiates. I think when I came back in 2019 and dropped back down to 72s, um, so when I was going into 2020 and then 2021 as a 7269, uh, Cassie Carlton was the, the person that I was like obsessively looking at their Instagram to see what we were hitting each week. And she's pretty strong raw also. So then we were like kind of competing like that raw and equipped. So like in her raw blocks, I would be in a raw block also. And then we would peak in equipment. And then I saw she was going just raw and I was like, oh, that's a game changer. I was like, I didn't know. Well, I saw after 2019 Raw Nationals, I saw the numbers that Chloe Dublin hit. And I was like, I think I could hit those in like a year. So after 2020 got canceled, I did a max out day and I squatted 385. I benched 253 and then I pulled 451. And then I was like, oh, I should do raw. I was like, I don't know if I want to give up equipment. I was like, I should do raw. So going into 2021, I knew I wanted to do a raw meet. And I was like, why don't we just do raw nationals? Because I've never done a national meet raw. So that was my first raw national meet. And it was doing raw. It's harder to get in that zone because in the equipment, you have all these people around you, helping you, wrapping you. They're helping you get in that zone. And when it's raw, I had the one hit. My coach at the time was spotting loading on the other platform. Um, so he was like yelling across the stage, kind of like telling us, you know, send it on the deadlifts and all that, but it, it's different. Like I have to psych myself up and kind of mentally prepare raw. And I have to, I had to learn how to do that at raw nationals. Cause I thought I would be lucky if I got top 10, I had no idea that I was in the running to tie for second. 
I had no idea. And if I made Kristen Dunsmore mad because she changed her third attempt, I did not do that on purpose. We did not know that that was going on. Girls, stop. (laughs) Don't worry about making people mad. It's a competition. I like Kristen. Kristen's awesome. She and I, we're cool now. We're, We're friends. But then I was like, I would have been really mad at me. Like, it looked like we were playing the game, but we had no idea. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> it's like, a, let me not comment on <laughs> Kristen's handler. Um, Cause that's a handler problem. But anywho, <laughs> yeah. um, it's really, yeah. That's the one thing I wanted to ask that you kind of answered. Like, it's so different equipped because you have people all around you. Cause you have to for equipment like you have to have help and everything and then raw is like you can do it all by yourself so do you, which one do you prefer now obviously you're on the raw track and you're freaking killing it and about to have this big showdown but like for the sake of like literally enjoyment which one do you enjoy more oh 100 percent raw i don't have as much tendonitis in my bicep my hips don't want to kill me like my back's not sore all of the time I appreciate equipment and it's not something that everyone can do. It requires a certain level of like mental, like calmness and then pain tolerance also. Um, so never say never about me ever doing an equipment, but I am definitely a raw lifter at the moment. Is the training, you kind of alluded to this, but is the training drastically different from raw and equipped? Yes. So in equipment, you're pretty much getting into suits. And I think like when you, when you program for equipment, it, you're, you're programming, but it's going to change. As soon as they get there, the suit's not going to fit right. They're, they're not able to do the sessions. So then you have to figure out how you can work that in. So it's kind of just, you know, figuring out what you can tolerate up until the meet. And it's, it's not, it's difficult to program people who are newer to the sport and equipment because they want to hit these numbers and equipment and they know they're capable of it, but sometimes the equipment's not working with them because they're going to have a different body composition and they'll be either more bloated or they'll be dehydrated at the meet. So their equipment's going to fit different. And then also sometimes you have to last minute find a new spot suit or a bench suit or something like that, which I think I did almost every, every prep also. And it's expensive. Wow. That's like such a big additional factor to add into competing that I can't even imagine because I'm one of those people like over the past, few weeks I've been talking to people a lot who have done equipped and raw but I'm someone who's never even put on a suit of any sorts never really watched one put it on in person and I'm like equips that thing where like there's seven people together and they all help some guy get into a bench suit right like that's like that's still me because like it's so foreign to me so just to hear how big that additional factor is to like the the idea of like on the day you're looking for a different suit like that would just freak me out like I can't control that factor so that will, I will lose my mind. <laughs> it is hard to plan because I do help coach for UTSA. So I'm always like, take all of the suits that you have. Like just someone might need it later. Like just take them. So I, I think at nationals, I was going to take some of mine and I, I forgot just because I know someone's going to forget a bench shirt or someone's bench shirt's going to rip and then they won't get through equipment checks or something. It's always something. So I always have their checklist. Like if you have an extra singlet, just take it. I don't care if it's ugly or, you know, it's, it's old school. Just, just take it, take extra socks. Someone's probably going to forget if, even if it's from another team, it's just, there's a lot of stuff with equipment. Oh man. And speaking of UTSA, you're their first female coach ever, right? Yes. Yes, I am. 
So that's pretty insane. When did you start that position of being their first collegiate coach? So me and Wes have this running joke, Wes Dunker. Um, when I signed to come to the team initially as a freshman, I, I didn't really ask if they were taking athletes. I just kind of emailed him and was like, when's your signing day? I'm going to sign. And then I just kind of showed up. <clears throat> so no, no one recruited me. I kind of recruited myself and told Weston that I was coming. And then I showed up and I did my thing. And then when I was graduating, I kind of just assumed, I was like, I know I had always wanted to stick around and help the team out. Um, and I was like, they don't really have a female coach or someone that, you know, that at least the women's team can kind of go to for advice because some of these things are different. Like some, some women on their, their period, you know, it, it does affect strength differently for every person. And, you know, staff of three male coaches, like, I can't really ask them those questions. So I kind of just started doing it and I kind of just put myself in that group chat and then they were like, oh, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> so I don't think it really started. I think when I was graduating, I just kind of pushed my way into that role and now I'm still here. And now we're doing, um, we're not really formally splitting coaching staff into raw and equipped. Um, because I think it was the thing where they wanted me to be the women's head coach for a while. And I was like, I don't like that. <laughs> uh, I, I don't like that distinction, like that kind of like split dichotomy. I think the dichotomy should be raw and equipped um, because the training's the same for men and women. It's just this really the only difference is raw and equipped. <clears throat> but it's <laughs> the women's team is um, they're their characters. I do enjoy all of that good stuff. And this will be my second year doing that. Collegiate Nationals, this was the first time that I've been to, well, I guess it's the second time. The first time that I went at a I didn't compete. Um, I was just there helping my friend, Zena. Uh, so this Collegiate Nationals, I was coaching. I don't think I was prepared for how little sleep I was able to get and how much running around and like mentally like in the game I had to be for every single person. Um, so that was definitely difficult. But uh, Wes, Davion, and Richard, they worked with me and it made it so much easier. Dude, like that me wasn't it seven days long and three sessions a day? Am I right? It was something like that. Cause they had something like that. <laughs> yeah, they had junior nationals and then collegiate nationals. Oof. And I, I wasn't even there for junior. We were just there for collegiate. And I think that was still four days. Cause I only had, I think, two sessions off total from that whole the whole collegiate part. Wow, that's a lot. And one thing you said that I love is that you were like, they were thinking, okay, you can be the woman's head coach. You were like, actually, I don't like that that dichotomy because like women and men are gonna train very similar. It's not like it's not like, oh, you're a man, let's push it up 10 more percent. Like, no, it's gonna be basically the same. And you're right, the major difference is broad and equipped. So I'm so happy you said that because I think if you did split it and then like all of a sudden, like, it's like, oh, I'm just a woman's head coach. It, it really makes it seem like, oh, like, I don't know, like we're different. Like the woman's side is super different from the men's side in some weird way. That's just not the case. So I'm really happy that like you made it clear that's not how it should be. And they listened to you. I don't know if they listened to me, but <laughs> I kind of pushed for it. And I was like, I'm not the women's head. I'm, I'm an assistant coach. But now I think since Wes is doing his awesome stuff and opening all these locations. I think now we're all just coaches because he really only shows up when he can. So it's really me, Davion and Richard that are kind of pulling that up. And I'm trying to pull my former coach into that mix as well. So we have four people there all the time. Um, so there should be four of us, but yeah, <laughs> I definitely 
did not have that conversation with them formally. I was just like, I, I think I did once in the group chat. I was like, I am not the women's head coach. I'm just an assistant coach. So, and I didn't put, they didn't put the label that I was going to be like in the emails or anything that I was the, the women's head coaches, the first female coach, which I appreciated because like powerlifting is that one sport where there isn't a weird distinction between men and women, other than the, the fact that they're separate divisions, the training pretty much the same. If someone's not responding, you adjust, but I mean, there's not a whole lot of like very specific things that you need to be adjusting for men and women, which I think is awesome, which is part of why I love the sport so much. Anyways. I can fully agree with that. Like I really do. And you were, so you're, we're obviously working with UTSA. And then do you also have your own coaching business aside from that? Yes. So for UTSA, we don't charge. We are volunteer coaching them. So we sit them down and we prepare them and get UTSA ready because we're all alumni. Uh, we, we just want UTSA to dominate all the time. <clears throat> so there's, there's no money in our coaching. We kind of just volunteer and I was there anyways. And I said, this is something that I want. I could afford coaching back in the day and the team program for me didn't work. So I wanted to be able to help create something that was a little bit more general and not as hard on certain things and help with, you know, technique and form and how to use gear and all that good stuff. Um, so I don't charge UTSA. I think they're going to try to get us stipends at least for when we have to travel to collegiates because that was the only thing that I wanted um, out of that. <clears throat> so my coaching business, um, I purposely try to not solicit explicitly from the team because I think that that's a weird that's a weird dynamic that I didn't want, um, but some of those kids have asked me that they do want programming. So I do that for them through my own coaching business. Because um, UTSA is just 100% volunteer. I'm, I'm not ever going to ask them to provide me with anything because I got um, a lot of experience and a lot of really good life skills from the team. So that's just me giving back to them. And it's really only for the fall and spring. The officers are the ones who get with the school and do all the rules and figure out travel and all of that good stuff. And then I just go in and help them on each day and with everything else that they have to do going forward. So I was going to ask you, like, it was a volunteer. So it's so cool that like people like you are going to volunteer their time because they got so much from it. And I mean, it's time consuming. So that's a lot of your time. You're like, Oh, it's just the fall and spring. I'm like, so half the year. <laughs> like 50% of my life like that's a lot of time so it's really incredible that you do that I'm happy that they're gonna hopefully give you all some stipends because like the so you end up paying out of pocket to travel to help them they, they do pay for our travel um, oh, that's good yeah it was just like I have to take off you know a week from work and I was like mm. I I was hourly for the longest time I'm not anymore so that works out pretty good for me but I was like, you know, it, it, it makes it difficult because it's every year, you know, our jobs don't like that. We have to leave every year. And I had to take three separate like weeks off because I had the Grand Prix collegiates and now we're coming up on nationals again. So after nationals, done with traveling for the year, <laughs> but it would just be nice to have at least, um, you know, reimbursement for that income that we're missing for the week that we have to be gone for collegiates. Uh, but we already don't have to pay for travel, which is, which is awesome. The travel or the hotel. It's just, you know, food and anything else that we want from here. Yeah. So you do UTSA, you have your own coaching business, and then you're doing something else because you're saying you're taking time off. Is that like the in-person training? Yes. I, I am a personal trainer at a commercial gym also. Okay. Got it. And at that commercial gym, do you tend to see products coming to you? Because you're in Texas, so I feel like, I don't know, products might still show up at a commercial gym 
and want you. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm working with someone that used to train or is like aware of the TSS like circle. I'm actually, I'm working with two of them right now, which I think is weird because <laughs> they don't, they're not powerlifters. One of them is, um, she's kind of related to like strongman lifting. And then the other one is CrossFit, but they're aware of like West, who West is, who the UTSA team is. And I think they said that Jesus Olivetas like walked upstairs, went over to the deadlift platform and was like pulling 700 for a YouTube video. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like on the bunker plates that, that, that can't be good but <laughs> I don't see that many other like power lifters there one of my athletes works downstairs so we're like the two that like actually compete but I think uh we did I did actually see someone I think she's a 47 48 um she used to compete and I think she was coached by one of UTSA's former presidents and I think she I think I talked her into getting a coach and now she's competing again I was Thank God. She was so strong back in the day, but that's pretty much it. There's not a lot of like, I don't really try to push like too much powerlifting with it. Cause I would like to keep those separate. Um, but they don't have a facility for powerlifting. It's just like the straight up, like, what are they called? Power racks. So they have mm-hmm. those basic ones and you can't even drop a bench in it. The bench racks are separate and there's no chalk and they have the hex pound plates and the bumpers and that's it. They do yeah, have eco bars though, which Ooh. I thought was cool weightlifting That's no so kilos nice. yet though okay it's gonna happen it's gonna happen we're gonna start seeing <laughs> kilos in like every commercial gym in texas i hope so i i talked to the regional like pt manager and he was like i've been trying <laughs> the equipment places that they work with don't make kilos so they're kind of stuck right now but he's also a former power lifter ironically again not it's so, like in my mind so i feel like because you're in texas this might not be your thought process. Like I visited Texas once and that was like last month, right? So in my mind, I'm like, everyone in Texas walks around with the belt. Like every human just has a powerlifting belt like in their back pocket or something. And I'm like, Texas is just, to me, it's the state of powerlifting. So I just picture everyone just being a powerlifter in that state. But it's so cool though that like, I mean, I'm not surprised like the person in charge of that gym, even though it's a commercial gym, is also a powerlifter. <laughs> right I was like what because he was a ballroom dancer and then he was a powerlifter and I was like oh. that's the best combo ever that's pretty cool <laughs> like, you're athletic and you can get strong like usually we go powerlifting because we're too short to be athletic in like a bigger stage which is I think that's something else that I noticed because I was I was definitely looking at some of the other interviews you did and I was like okay because I know uh I think like after looking at some of the interviews that you did, like the last couple of weeks, like I think all of us have very similar like backstories as far as like what got us into lifting in the first place, why we keep lifting. And I was like, okay, good to know. I'm not just going to repeat what someone else said. So that's going to say, oh yeah, but Texas on another note, have you ever been to a Texas high school powerlifting meet? No, I've not. <laughs> Those are, if you I know I saw Angelo at the IPA meet. It's very similar to an IPA meet. Ooh, There's like he told me about it. No, he said it was rough. <laughs> it was a 12-hour meet. <sighs> I think I was there for 13 hours because I made my athlete get there an hour early to warm up. And then yeah, they just kind of stopped the meet in the middle after they did bench to have that weird bench only meet. It, it wasn't even like a second flight or a second session. They just stopped the meet kicked everyone out of the warm-up room and then they let the big boys do their bench only. And that took 
forever. There was no timers. There's no timers. So you can start wrapping when your weight's loaded. And then they had to like pause for like two hours to get the monoliths out and then the bench racks. And then I don't know what they were waiting on for deadlifts, but I actually ended up, I was coaching my athlete while she was deadlifting. And then I had to jump in and spot and load because it was taking forever. So I was spotting and loading while she was lifting. And I was like, I already put in your attempts. You're fine. We'll just, we'll go from there and we'll keep it going. So y'all can go home and go to sleep. Dear God. So <laughs> what you're saying is continue to never go to a Texas high school, high school meet. Got it. <laughs> the Texas high school meets, we run them at TSS. Those are, those are so much better. There's still like so many kids that it's just absolute chaos. But I think Texas high school, when I started, it wasn't, there wasn't that many girls. So like the regional girls meet, wasn't that big. But when I went to help out, it's better. They're keeping timers, which is awesome. They are still using the projectors. So they're using that like old school where you write on it with the wet marker and it projects yeah. on the wall. They still use wow. those though. Okay. Uh, they'll, they'll come along eventually, I hope. Have the same projector now. <laughs> A little bit. All right. <laughs> it's it's something else. We use lifting cast at TSS for them though. So that is that is an upgrade that they should all switch to. But it does yeah. cost money. So I get it. Yeah, I get that. But that's definitely gonna be better than any projector. So I feel <laughs> oh, yeah. I am on board with you there. Do you do anything else? Like I feel like you have a million jobs. I mean they're all correlated. <laughs> to coaching, which is cool because it seems like your whole life is really coaching and competing, but is there another job that you do or you also like some random professional, like, I don't know, like astronaut, like I feel like you do everything. No, I, well, I mean, I just graduated from college last year, so I just had this extra time. So like coaching UTSA kind of helped fill that in. And now pretty much all my free time is still studying. I'm just not in a degree program, but I do have a hundred percent intentions to go back to school eventually. Um, but right now my boyfriend is getting his master's. So <laughs> I don't think we could both tolerate both being in school again. So when he finishes, then I'll start applying because I would love to do a PhD program. That way I can kind of outrank him here. So right now he's getting his master's. So if I get a PhD, I'll be one up. Oh my That's God, my goal there. Even with that, that's <laughs> hilarious. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you get your degree in exercise science? Yes. So at UTSA, we didn't have a um, exercise science degree path when I was there on the catalogs. So I kind of wiggled around. I had like seven major changes while I was there. My very first one was kinesiology. And then I finished with kines with a concentration in exercise physiology. And then my minor was biology. So I got halfway through a biology degree. And then I was like, this is, isn't actually what I wanted to learn. Like I just wanted exercise science basically. So I took as many anatomy classes in bio as I could did the physics, um, got up to OCHEM, and then I panicked and changed my major. <laughs> that was a full-time server at the time. And if, have you ever been a server? I have not. Okay. Cause it's like extremely physically and mentally exhausting. And I was doing that for like 30, 40 hours a week on top of being a full-time student and training. And I was like, I just, I do not have time to put as much effort into OCHEM as I needed. So I could go back and do that, but I don't think for where I'm at now and the goals that I have going forward, I don't think med school is something that would that would line up with that now. I think that would just kind of pull away from those goals that I've already made now. So going to grad school and doing research, I think is definitely more so in my my lane. But yeah, <laughs> I can't get away from studying even after I graduate. Well, because you love it though. And so, okay, once you 
whenever that happens, I don't know how far your boyfriend is with his degree. So I don't know what's gonna happen. But like once you get that PhD, like what's what's your goal for that? Like, do you want to just start, I don't know, making research papers and stuff like that to put up about powerlifting? Like, is there anything like, man, when I get a PhD, I want to do research on this? Yeah, so Eric Helms actually just posted yesterday and I had commented on the post about um, women in like strength training research because there's a reported 40% of women in like involved with the participation of strength training as uh, exercise science research. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to read all of the stuff that they reported on that and what they found. Um, but I just feel like in all of the studies and things that I'm aware of that there's a significant lack of female representation in all of that, um, especially with regards to how birth control affects things, how, you know, hormonal cycles can affect it if, you know, certain antidepressants or something like that is different in women than men. There's not a lot of studies on that. It's just, you know, how do you get this muscle bigger? Does this movement pattern make it more effective? long-term, you know, creatine supplementation, all that stuff. It's just kind of basic. So there's not a lot of women-specific research with all of that, which is something that I, I watched something recently on Netflix and not super related to fitness or anything like that, but it mentioned that like in medical research, women are sometimes an afterthought of a bigger study that was purposely for men. Like the birth control pill was an accident. So once they like accidentally figured out that that was what it did, it changed like it, it basically changed the world. And if they had actually thought of doing that beforehand, it might've had a different outcome and it might've been way sooner than that. Mm. So when I get my PhD or when I start thinking of like what I want my thesis to be on, it's probably going to be centered around uh, women's participation or a women's specific topic in exercise science. Wow, I love this because you're right. Like there's not a lot of research on certain things, especially like birth control and how it truly affects women as a strength athlete. Like I remember I started to look into that a little bit. Cause I was like, should I like stop this? Like, I, cause literally yeah. I remember one time, okay. I read a post by Steffi Cohen that scared me to death. This was like two years ago. The post basically said like, if you're taking birth control or you're having an ID, an ID is not copper, like you're significantly limiting your like strength and it's bad for you. And I was like, oh my God, like, could I add like 30 kilos to my total if I just <laughs> stopped taking, I literally was thinking that. And then like, I was trying to like research. And I was like, I, I just feel like everything's like, there's not a lot of it or there's not a lot of sources. So I feel like I'm just Googling random stuff and coming up with stuff that's just not even <laughs> very helpful and like not many research articles. So it's really cool that you want to like go into that because that's something we need. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think the women that are scientists and they were studying, I think different forms of birth control or um, one of them had got off of birth control and she was like, smell, smell better. And like food tastes better because it kind of just like suppresses like our, like our natural hormonal system. So that was like, I was like, I was like, dang it. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense because birth control, I don't really think has evolved a whole lot since the initial birth control, but like the hormone doses are all, I think pretty much the same. Still, you can get differing like hormonal levels depending on which medication you're taking, but for the most part, it's all the same stuff, which I think is odd. Because I think if it was like a men's version, it would have, a, there would be so many different ways that you could do it. You could put drops under your tongue, you know, it would be included in the food, stuff like that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait till Dr. Gabby starts researching 
about birth control <laughs> and I get to read your articles and however many years away that is. But seriously, that's so incredible. Hopefully and, me too. <laughs> yes. Okay. So once you move on to you, one thing I noticed from going through your history, you have been quite a few weight classes. So you started out or we went from 84, got to 72, then it was 69, then 67. So that's like a big change. How was it losing weight and getting stronger at the same time? What were like the biggest factors that were hard about that journey? So I actually kind of started that yo-yoing process in high school. I think I was like 170, 175 when my high school coach walked up and was like, we're going to put you in a suit. Um, I might've been right around 165. Cause I think my first meet ever, I think I was a 165. I might've been a 181, but I'm pretty sure it was around that area. And then I was a junior and I went down to 148 and then I could not break that, that 148 barrier. I remember it took me almost half the season to actually finally break into the 48s. And then when I was a senior, I got down to 132 and I was doing like two hours, maybe not two hours, but it was at least an hour on the Stairmaster Every single day, I was only eating turkey jerky and salad. <laughs> and then when I got into college, I was like, oh my gosh, like all of this freedom. So I gained a little bit of weight and I think I came in as a 63. And then my first actual collegiate meet, I was a 72. Um, and then after I took that break, I came back as an 84. I tried so hard. I water cut so hard to try to break into the 72s. And I think I got stuck at 74 at that meet back. And then I actually cut at collegiate because I could, I was trying to qualify. Um, so then I went to collegiate in 2019 as a, as a, I think I was an 84, but I weighed in at 76 and I, I actually kind of did a water cut for that because I was embarrassed about the fact that I was an 84 at that meet. Um, and that's what happens. I think when I don't lift, I think like I, I lose sense of like purpose for eating. And so then some like disordered eating habits come back around. And so then I just gained a bunch of weight and then I'm unhappy with everything again. So powerlifting, I think when I'm consistently training, it naturally happens where I fall within that 72 range. Cause right now, even when I'm eating Chinese food every other day, like right after the Arnold, um, <laughs> my body weight spiked. And I think it capped at 155 or 156. And I was like, Oh crap, I should probably start tracking stuff again. So going to 72s, I think the first time I hit it was difficult. But I was still a little bit, I think, overweight for my personal preferences. So I was 72. And then I, when they changed it to 69, I was devastated. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I barely got down to 72s. Now I have to cut again to 69. Um, but that process, I think I took the full year. So 2020 happened. Um, and then I was like, you know, everyone panicked for a little bit. I think everyone gained a little bit of weight because we were all upset. And they were like, we can't train anymore. Um, and we actually had a rack in someone's living room at an apartment complex on the first floor. So we were still training. And then I was like, this is an opportunity. I can, I have complete control over everything in my apartment. So I was like, I might as well, I think I purchased the RP diet up for that. Um, and then I was like timing everything and it was fantastic. So I was at Walmart at the, I had to get a new job. So I was at Walmart in the middle of COVID and I was really able to like dial that in and figure out how they kind of do that nutrition. And then like, it's responsive. So if, for one week, you don't make any progress. They then change your macros to help you hit that goal. And it's it's tough depending on how far you set that out ahead of time. So if you set it for six months, it's going to be way more lenient. Um, if you set it for like two months, I think, which is what I did, it's a pretty hard 
like every week is significantly less macros. Um, so I learned a little bit from that. And then that's kind of what sparked my interest in nutrition. So I have a nutrition certification as well through NASM. Um, so cutting down to 69 was initially pretty difficult. It's, I was not used to weighing my food to that extent. I was weighing everything raw, portioning it out. I would weigh the oil that I put in the pan to cook it, all of that good stuff. Um, and then I made weight. I think I was 68.5 in 2021. And then I had to cut again for, I almost didn't make weight at Raw Nationals last year. I was like, I'm just cruising. I already made weight at um, Collegiate. So I was like, I'm just going to cruise into this meet. All I have to do is maintain. And then I think the travel mess with kind of my water weight. So I was spitting until right before weigh-ins closed. And then I weighed in and I just happened to weigh in at 69. Otherwise, I may not have competed also. But I mean, spitting in a cup, being that close to not making weight is not new for me, especially with Texas high school. So I'm used to, you know, throwing the sweatsuit on, running around, you know, going into a super hot car and sweating. I'm used to that, but I didn't have to do that. I just spit a little bit. So from 69 to 67, because I had already been used to like, weighing my food and I don't use RP diet app anymore. I just kind of do my own macros. And I think I'm just in the habit of eating well and controlling a little bit better now. Um, Cause I don't hit macros right on the head anymore. <laughs> it's kind of like a guesstimation, but as I get closer to each meet, then I am weighing and making sure that I hit everything right on the head. Um, so now it's kind of easy. 67, I think is a pretty natural weight loss for me. I'm not having to cut into this meat, um, which is surprising. I thought I would have to cut way harder. Um, for the Arnold, I did a pretty, it was a long cut. I think I started in December so that I wouldn't have to like notice any strength loss. So I was peaking while I was maintaining and slowly losing. So this meet is way easier for me to make weight at. I may do it. <laughs> we're going to see about dots. I'm not actually going to worry that much about dots. Um, you know, that's something that I think if I worry about that, then I'll lose sight of, you know, putting a total together on meet day, but weight's been I think since I figured out how to actually manipulate my own weight by controlling my nutrition, it's been much easier. But before then it was, it was stressful. I mean, one thing you mentioned is that now you have the habits of just eating overall, like more well-balanced food. And you don't even track every single thing to like the gram until you get close to me. And like literally your weights is quite literally all that matters <laughs> about two hours out before you actually compete. So it sounds like you really just found overall balance from like kind of yo-yoing to like, okay, here's sustainable habits that I can do that don't feel overwhelming. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And because I'm a nutrition coach, that that's a hundred percent what I teach. So it, I mean, nutrition coaching isn't something that I would want someone to pay me long-term for. That's something that it's more of like, like a, a string of seminars basically that I give them. So they're paying for that one-on-one -on -one session with me to learn about nutrition. And then over that course of them learning until they have those tools to do that for themselves, which is the whole goal. I have a couple of nutrition clients right now um, the whole goal is to get them on their own and be able to do that without the guidance, unless they just need someone in their ear to remind them. So that's, that's what I do for myself. And I think that, um, what is it called? Flexible dieting. That that's actually the term that we use for it. Um, that's hundred percent all I do, because if you're doing these like hardcore diets where you're like, okay, I have to do keto, I have to cut this out, or, you know, I have to eat half of my usual caloric intake in order to make weight for this. That's not sustainable. 
So eventually it's not going to work or someone's going to get miserable or their strength is going to lose and they're not going to compete where they need to be, like at the level that they need to be at in order to hit their, you know, their numbers that they have in their head. So kind of figuring out long-term and especially like when they get with me, I always try to make sure that they don't have these goals in mind for anything short-term. All of this takes a long time because you need to be able to have those days where you you mess up and then you weigh in a little bit heavier and you have to get used to that because that's a data point that in the long-term trend line, as long as it's, you know, as long as it's not trending up over the span of six months, you should be okay. Normal spikes are good. My, my fitness pal has several big spikes because sodium and water retention are a thing and they go away. hundred percent. Like. I love how you said like you teach flexible dieting for all your clients because like at the end of the day, flexible dieting is going to make it much easier for someone to sustain it long term. And also um, you were saying that, okay, you need to understand that this is like not a short term thing because you want them to be able to go on their own. And like it's similar for me to like I lost coach nutrition. And I'm like, I don't want you to be with me forever. And if someone's with me for a long time, it's because one, they literally just like someone to be there to look at their stuff if, if like they live by themselves and no one cares then they'll need help getting back on track i'm like okay cool as long as you know you're paying me just to look at it at this point because you're killing it and you've learned everything then we're fine or number two like if they're like a competing powerlifter and like every single time they go into a meet there's like maybe a small water cut something like that and they just need someone to like care about it i'm like cool okay but like besides that like to learn how to eat for life like you should not want me to be there for years because then you didn't learn how to eat for life you just learned how to, to rely on someone so that's really exactly. a good mentality you have exactly and i know people ask for like meal plans all the time and i'm like you know i don't want to do meal plans because i'm not a registered dietitian i mm -hmm. don't want to be blamed for the fact that i forgot to give you a certain vegetable and now you're deficient in vitamin a or c yep. or whatever it is because that's a real thing so i don't do meal plans i think nutrition coaches or someone that's not a registered dietitian doing that is asking problems and if they have you sign a big long contract that's what it's for probably <laughs> that is so so true um so circling back you said you're not super worried about dots for this me because that kind of mentality could get in the way of you putting up the big total that you want to do and this is something and i don't know if you listen to July's podcast that i've been on for the past few weeks this is something we definitely talked about how we think that your competition samantha calhoun is definitely more worried about dots and that you are going to be trying to pub that big total and win the weight class that's kind of like what we were thinking y'all are doing so is that kind of correct for your end like you're fully like I just want to pub the biggest total that I can and just as long as I make the weights to be in that weight class you did it kind of I am um I did for the Arnold I, I did like a mini water cut so I'm not water loading I think like two days before or the day before I just drank as much water as I could get down so that I would just be kind of dehydrated when I weighed in without feeling like worn out and dehydrated. So I did that part of the part of, so like I wouldn't be dehydrated on me day because I still had some water in there, but also like it, it wouldn't hurt for weight. And then I weighed in pretty light. I've never weighed in at 66.7 ever in my life. <laughs> like since high school, I don't think I've been that light. So that was, that was interesting. Um, I, I noticed that I am probably going to be, if I get down to that weight, I'll be much later this time around. I did put on a little bit of muscle um, intentionally, 
So we'll see. I'm probably going to do the same thing with the mini water cut. I'm not really going to worry too much about dots. You know, Sam has three national titles under her belt. I have zero. Well, I have zero raw national titles. I only have one equipped title. I was going to so, say, I saw that equipped one. <laughs> <laughs> I have the banner of my TV. <laughs> but um, yeah, Sam has three national titles. I think she's 100% right. Dots may be more important for her. That um, Pro Series check going to be bigger than the check that we're getting at Nats. So I don't blame her. And I mean, she still may beat me, even though she's worried about dots. Um, I'm not going to put most of my intent on the dots because I have some catching up to do as far as like her accolades. And that's not all that lifting is about, but this, this, for this meet, um, you know, securing, even if dot, my dots end up better than hers, if I don't win the weight class, then I feel like I kind of planned all of that wrong. My priority for this is to get a national title under my belt. And once I have that, then I can kind of look at the next step. Mm, I love it. So what do you have? And it's okay if you don't want to say them, but at this point, you know, we're a week out. I'm assuming you've done your last heaviest lifts. Am I right for all of them? Yeah, that's correct. Cool. Done all of your heaviest lifts. And obviously at this point, you probably made your own game plan because you do your own coaching. So you probably made your own game plan. Do you have certain numbers in mind to specifically hit? And then also, um, are you the kind of person, because you're very type A, have you already planned out multiple scenarios? Like if Sam does this, I'm going to do this. If Sam does this, I'm going to do this. Or is it kind of like you're giving it more to your handler to worry about that part and you haven't thought of all those scenarios in your head? I've 100% thought of all of the possible scenarios that I could ever imagine. And I have talked them over with my handler. So he is aware that I'm prepared to do what we have to do. Um, but also, I'm not really going to worry too much about it until deadlifts. I'm just going to put what I have. Because um, I did have a conversation with Johnny Graham. Um, he ran part of Texas High School Parliamenting in my region. Um, so he's also part of that initial mentorship that I had. And he had a conversation with me saying that, you know, he doesn't ask his athletes to win. He can only ask them to do their best on meet day. And then if they have the option to win, he's going to give it to them on deadlifts. So I needed to hear that <laughs> because going into the Arnold um, for that, that was like, I need to prove that I can do this. Like, this is the first meet that I'll be doing as my own coach. I need to prove that, you know, I'm not just out here messing around. Like I put a lot of effort and thought into this. And I probably care more about my training than anybody else, honestly. So coming into this meet, I know I've already done that. So now what I need to do is just put together a good meet for myself. So I have to treat myself how I would treat my clients. So I'm putting together everything that I can compile, giving it to my game day handler. I trust him to make those decisions. He would have made them at the Arnold had I let him. So I'm not going to do that to him this time. Um, but we have, I have a range of top end numbers that I want, as long as it's within that range, I won't be mad. Um, if it's below that, I will be upset, <laughs> but it'll, it, you know, it is what it is. The goal is to go nine for nine, um, and honestly have a good meet and then kind of see what I can pull out of that. And, and there another goal, like maybe like the national title. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, um, okay. <laughs> when I have those range of numbers, that range is where I think, if something like if like if Sam messes up, this is the minimum that I think that would be able to get me there. Um, so if I'm having a bad squat day or something, that's okay. We'll push it on bench and deadlift. I think bench and deadlift are going to be the two that I hit actual PRs on anyways. 
because mm-hmm. um, my meat PRs for squat are not good. <laughs> um, I the Arnold just went so fast that like I I I just didn't have enough time to like recuperate and get my thoughts together, and I was panicking because I was like I'm placed what right now going into deadlifts. Like I I wish someone had not told me. <laughs> I don't think I knew until my last deadlift that that was the case, but, um, on the second one, but my first deadlift felt super easy. And then the second one, I think like I messed up the, like, like pulling, I didn't wedge right or something. So it was all my back and my hips. And so I was just like, nope, we're not going to finish it. And then, uh, cause I had the deadlift pro the next day and I did that raw, I registered as raw and they had me on there as equipped. So I don't know what happened there. Um, I heard King of the Lift say that Jordan was equipped when she, she did wasn't. the deadlift. She was not. She was definitely in a singlet also. Girl, first of all, there's quite a few mistakes that are made in that podcast. And yes, that is one that I highlighted in my notes. But <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Yeah, they forgot about Ariel too. And I was like, um, uh, it's okay. And That's not right. just her, but yes. I didn't even listen to the entire thing. I'm not going to lie. That's fair. Ariel Patrick listening to this. I shout you out again on the new episode of Two Outlights that has not dropped yet. Just so you know, because I was so upset about King of the Lifts. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. It was interesting. But yeah, because I don't do equipped anymore. <laughs> I thought about taking my deadlift suit because I think, because I was sponsored for the deadlift pro meet. Someone paid for my entry fee. I think they wanted me to do equipped, but they didn't say they wanted me to do equipped. So, mm-hmm. and I don't think I knew that it was going to be like that I was registered as equipped until I got there. And then I was like, oh, I should have brought my suit. I might've been able to squeeze like 15 more keys out because <laughs> my back was fried after the Grand Prix the day before. And then the next morning, I almost missed equipment checks and weigh-ins. I was like, oh, I'm so, so tired. I mean, but girl, you're it. breathing in mold on top of everything. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> you. mold. Oh, my God. I was so ready to get out of Columbus. <laughs> but, okay, so well, um, what happened on the third deadlift? He said, I know you hit 462.9. He said, move easy. 485, you're like more hip and back, not enough wedging. Same thing happened on the third attempt? On the third one, I think because the second one, I pushed it a little, like I got to my knees on the second one. And I think that was too much um, because I did have a prior back injury. Um, I can't remember. I was doing block pulls. I don't remember what year it was, but I was doing block pulls, which is 405 at the time. And I think I was like 75, 74 keys. I was a little heavier. So that was pretty easy for me at the time. Um, and then I have no idea what I did. I didn't have insurance. So I was like, I hope I didn't herniate anything or do anything super bad, but I had severe sciatica for about nine months afterwards. And then I had to do my own rehab for that. So like sometimes my body, when I kind of do something that will probably hurt it, if I do it again, my body just straight up won't let me do it anymore. So I couldn't pull a red off the floor for a while sitting in a car. I think shortly after I I did that initial injury with the block pole, I was just sitting in a car. I think we were going to the gym. We were going home. And I almost made my boyfriend pull over. I was in so much pain. It was just down my leg. It was shooting up my back. It was, it was intense. I'm pretty sure I probably herniated something or pinched the living life out of my sciatic nerve or something. I don't know what I did, but it was, it was super painful. Oh my God. So I think that my body was like, no, you're not doing it again. Okay. And that does make sense because, like, you know, it's crazy, like, how your body will react, like, naturally if it's, like, 
oh, we've been here before. They didn't go so well. So your brain will be like, because, you know, your brain wants to not be in pain. So it'll do whatever yeah. it takes to not be in pain. So it's like, that's wild. But looks like we're having a strong comeback. Do you think you can surpass what you went for the 485 at this meet with the way training has gone? We'll see. We'll see. Am I, from what I'm looking at, it, my top end should be higher than it was going into the Arnold. My last deadlift day um, going into the Arnold, like my last heavy day was much more difficult than my last heavy day this block. I purposely did that. I kind of like, I didn't really hit RPE nines for my last heavy day. It was more so like a seven and a half. I wouldn't even say they were eights. They just moved easy. And I was like, okay, that's fine. We don't need to overly fatigue myself. I still have to travel. I still have to take my national judges test the day before. So I was like, I'm going to have some built up fatigue. I don't need to overdo it with like physical fatigue also. You know, one thing I'm learning for me, one thing me and my coach are learning for me, like whenever I really do a full blown RPE nine, like close to me, like two weeks out or less meets day. I can't, I can't hit it again. I can't hit that. I just can't. So like, I think for you, you're kind of saying it sounds kind of similar. Like this time I hit like a solid like eight for my squat. And then I have another heavy day today, but like, we're, I'm not allowed to surpass or even touch that number. So like it's heavy, but like, I'm not doing any RPE, like full on nine or 9.5. Cause whenever I do it, I just can't recover in time. And like for the dead, I had to take my last dead bro, like a full three weeks out, like the heaviest one. Cause I was like, every time I do it two weeks out, nope. <laughs> yeah. <goes> poop. <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting to learn about yourself and like tracking data as you really get into like looking at how I can become a better lifter, especially when you're at an elite level, which you're clearly doing for yourself. Yeah. And I actually had a conversation with Claire's eye about this because now we can talk training because she's not in my weight class before. Hey. I, was like, hey. <laughs> I was like, Hey, I want to talk to her about this and ask her a couple of questions, but she's in my weight class. Um, but yeah, now she's 75. So we can talk all we want. Um, so she was talking about how, what, what, like what week she's hitting her heavy lifts, which I believe is this week. And this week I kind of loaded so I hit my heavy week last week this week we're just kind of cruising recovering a little bit and then I'll be hitting close to my openers probably for an SVD day before I fly out because I will not be training once I fly out I'm not paying for a day pass <laughs> so she was commenting that like it's interesting to see how we all peak differently um, and I think I peak early on purpose but I think that's just kind of a byproduct of so many years of equip lifting because in equipment you peak early or your body's just not going to have enough time to recover for heat day and things will just not go well because you have things like tendonitis and other inflammation and like your skin needs to heal a little bit so that you don't tear anything in the suit and stuff like that. So I think I just kind of naturally like peaking a little early and having some extra time to recover because I, I, I do have pretty severe anxiety. So I need a little bit of time, which isn't that bad this time actually, but I, I do like to give myself enough time to kind of not worry so much about the anxiety while I'm peaking. So I do it a week early and then I deload and then we'll just kind of cruise the week of that way. I should be super fresh by the time that I get to platform. Nice. And you just mentioned like you have severe anxiety, but it's getting better. How, like what techniques have you used to help yourself to like calm down before a big meet? Cause realistically, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. You do have a national title for equipped, but this is, probably the biggest meet of your life. Am I right? Yes. That equip title was, um, my openers, I think secured 
three out of four, no, it secured two out of four American records and probably my, um, the title at the time, because uh, Cassie did not go equipped um, that year. So it was kind of just me. I was hoping that she would so that we could finally have that matchup um, in equipment because she has, I think she has a world record. I think it was the squat equipped. If I'm not, no, maybe it was just the American record. Yes, because the world record was 534 at the time and she had 507, I believe. Um, so that one was pretty easy. So I just had anxiety, I think, because it's equipment. And so I'm always nervous about how my stuff's gonna fit. I'm nervous about if I'm gonna get to the platform in time, if my handler's gonna wrap me on time. So the fact that I haven't done any equipment meet in a year now is, I think that's helped, but also because I'm not in school. So before I was kind of recovering from like finals and graduating, going into raw nationals. And this year I'm, I'm older, so I'm a little bit wiser. My brain's almost completely developed since I'm 24. So that's good. Uh, we have, I, I plan, I think planning everything myself this time made it easier too. beforehand. It was, I was stressing out trying to trust my coach because I, I did. Mm. Um, he definitely knew my training very well and knew exactly what I responded to, but putting that in someone else's hands for me, stressed me out. Mm -hmm. uh, so this time it should be way easier. The Arnold, I was just nervous because I was worried about making weight. <laughs> and then I weighed in super light, uh, for me, that's super light. 66 is super light for me, but, um, so this time it's a lot easier. Um, my boyfriend is really good at, which is why he's my handler. He's really good at telling me to calm down <laughs> without being rude about it. So I think we'll be in good hands. I'm not super worried about my anxiety this time. I think none of this is new to me anymore, which also helps. Last year, a lot of it was new. That was my first national meet raw um, because the only other raw meets I've ever done were at TSS. So it was kind of like, you know, I just kind of showed up. I didn't really even have to register for it. Um, they did that for me because I didn't have to pay for it since I was a UTSA student. Um, so all of this is it's the second time around. You know, it's not as stressful. So I'm not too worried about it this time. Nice. Oh, I wanted to ask you too, because you kept saying you weighed in like pretty light, which 147.2 is light and you're not really cutting for this meat. Do you want to weigh in slightly heavier? Like, do you think that it may have slightly hurt you that you were slightly under the weight you had to be at or no? I had thought about that. Um, cause I, I didn't, I ate breakfast the morning of, so I, I just didn't really want to intake a whole lot of fluid. Um, so I weighed in with my food, which we do <laughs> when you come in from Texas high school, you, you know how to make weight. <laughs> so we, I weighed in with my food and I made sure that it was good. Even if I ate it, um, I, I don't know. I think I cut way harder going into the Arnold. So I think maybe the cut in the two to three weeks prior might've hurt that performance a little bit, um, especially going into deads, because once I get there, I cannot make myself eat that much. So I try to just get as many carbs in me as I can tolerate. And I usually try to also have candy because it's, you know, concentrated carbs, fast carbs. So <laughs> we'll see this time I'm, I'm getting to eat a little bit more. I did not cut my calorie. I cut my calories by like 50, 50 calories total. And I'm responding to that pretty well. So I'm, I'm excited that I get to eat more going into this meet. And then we'll just do that baby water cut just to make sure that I'm under that line, but I'm not worried about weighing in super light. I'm not purposely trying to weigh in right at either though. So I would like to not have to worry about you know, the point one over. So I do want to make sure that I'm under a little bit, maybe not a full key or close to a full key, but you know, 67.0 would be nice. That sounds like a really good spot to be in for sure. 
Okay, so I think we kind of dove into everything about this meet coming up next week. Um, want to ask you about how you feel the pro series in general is kind of going. You know, like we have like things to know about it. We had the Virginia Pro, we had Arnold's, we have this meet. There's like two UBO expos and like within the next two or the next month that no one's doing. And <laughs> then there's a the Virginia Pro again and then the next Arnold's. So I know you're someone who kind of wants to talk about the pro series. Do you like the direction it's going in so far? Yes and no, because I'm still confused about so much <laughs> with the pro series. Um, I think that, they, I mean, they did the Q&A. I talked to Celine about it a little bit. Um, she actually listened to the entire Q&A and I, I did not. I think I was on my way out to go to the gym or something, or I had to go get some steps in or some, something like that. But um, yeah, I think they need to have a social media team. I don't know if USA Powerlifting has like a social media like committee where someone's dedicated to figuring out what pieces of information need to get regularly posted so that people know what's going on. Because um, I know for UTSA powerlifting, because every year there's somebody new in that position, um, they're pretty good about making sure that they like have a plan for the entire year about when to post things, when to remind kids, because they're catering to the current kids on the team to make sure they know when upcoming important things are, and also to future roadrunners, to people who they're trying to recruit. Um, so, and they're all, you know, young, they're younger kids and younger adults. So they are really bad about keeping things in their mind. Um, so, I mean, I think that USA probably needs to have a similar committee to what a lot of the collegiate like club teams have someone that's in charge of that social media. That's going to continuously post things because I don't, I noticed that they don't actually post that much the USA powerlifting page. So they need to be yeah. posting regularly about how the pro series works, list each of the pro like meets for the year, because I, I thought there was only one that no one was doing, but there's two, there's two that are after NAS that no one is doing. Um, and then like elaborate more. So they mentioned some stuff in the Q and A, but they needed to then make a post about it to highlight it because not everybody stayed for the Q and A. Some people just wanted to see their name pop up, to see their friend's name pop up. Because with powerlifting, it's all about, you know, that one or two people that you know, that's why you listen to the podcast. That's why you do all of this stuff. And then once you get there, like, do I like does a good job of like hooking you in. So people want to listen to that preview because of that one person. And then they kind of hook you in and you like all the storylines about it. And then you keep listening. So do I like does a really good job of that, which is why I still listen to powerlifting. <laughs> But I don't think USA Powerlifting's done a good job about putting that information out there unless you're specifically looking for it. Mm -hmm. And I have not been because I am at a point where I don't think I'm going to be competing for first in the pro series this year, probably not next year. That's something that I can have a goal for down the line. Right now, I just need to solidify a placing in the pro series. Mm -hmm. um, be great if it's top three. I don't think it's going to be top three. I'm not going to lie. Um, I just want that national title for this year. And then going forward, I'll probably have some bigger goals for that. Um, because if the pro series doesn't continue and there isn't another goal other than being a national champion in this country, then the IPF route's looking way nicer. So I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that it comes together in a way that makes sense and they fix some of the things that happened. Cause this is the first year 
So we're expecting them to not be on top of everything because they're kind of creating some stuff as they go. Um, and I would love to be on some other committees for USA Powerlifting. Um, once I get my national judges stuff done, um, that's something else that I'm looking into. Um, just because I think that they have a lot of, um, you know, everyone that's on the committee, you would assume would be on one of those committees. I think we need some people in there that are a little bit younger or that are actually involved with the pro series. Like Jen Thompson, I think is, um, she's doing a good job as far as like figuring out what people want. So she was doing those polls and figuring out, you know, what do you want to see out of the pro series? How should we do the best lifters, which is why we have the lightweight, middleweight, and heavyweight, um, which is excellent. So they're listening to what we want, but they need to be responding a little bit more and reminding and highlighting some things as we go. Yeah, dude, I can fully agree with you. Like just a few things that we, that other people just found out about the equipment being used at nationals was announced like yesterday or the day before. Yes. And if you're listening to White Lights, Steve just went ahead and announced it. And it's like, yeah, that's been talked about for like a month and they haven't announced it at all. So that was like a big one. There's also some other things too. Like you were just saying, you want to be more involved in USA Powerlifting. Are you aware that the NGB board meeting is Monday after nationals, like the following Monday once nationals is over? Did you know that? It's usually right after. Um, so I think like the collegiate, collegiate uh, like, their thing is usually like right after nationals, like collegiate mm -hmm. sober. So they think they do that on purpose, but I'm flying out on Sunday and I'm not changing, <laughs> changing my it, flight. So exactly. So Solana didn't know that until like three and a half weeks ago when she had already booked her flight and was told that in order to move her flight, if I'm talking about myself in third person, but in order to move her <laughs> flight, it'd be an additional $500. And I was like, well, then we are not going. <laughs> and yep. no one is because no one knows about it. And yep. when I asked about it, it was like, the response I got was kind of like, oh yeah, it's always after. I'm like, no one knew, like no one knew. And I look back, they announced it in like an email. This email is over three months old. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think the only know. reason I know that any of those like conferences or like meetings are after nationals, like each national like meet is because Wes Zunker <laughs> is on the collegiate committee and he talks to me about it. So if you're not in the know in that circle, you have a really hard time figuring out that information because it's in an email three months out and they don't remind you. Yep. And then I'm happy that we on the two outlets like um got to highlight more about like the lightweight, the middleweight, the heavyweight classes, or like not classes, but like everything for getting money for this meet. But like they only posted about that what two weeks ago and like no one really knew. They made a story. So if you didn't screenshot it, it's gone. <laughs> like that is yeah. just gone. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. So you know, they need to work on some things and hopefully it does get better. And just like you said, you want to get more involved. I also am trying to get even more involved in it because they need people our age to help with social media. One thing I know about the social media is like, for example, I heard some people were really upset, like not knowing about the TSS racks and they're like, oh, so our people knew about it. Like they were trying to like hide it. And like the people who knew got an advantage. I'm like, no, see what's sad is no one on the USA committee thought they needed to announce it. It's not that they were hiding it. It's just, they're that oblivious. And then when it was brought up to them, they still took their time announcing it. Yeah. So that is the issue. It's literally humongous ignorance, but like, we're like, but we're telling you to do it. So like, let's pray it gets better and we're going to work towards making it better. But yeah, I think we have the same idea for the pro series. Like it could be great, but right now there's certain things that they should be doing better, even though it's new. It's like, okay, but you have social media. <laughs> yeah. 
and listening to the two highlights preview because <laughs> I had talked to Angela with the IPA me about um, you know my overall goal for my end game numbers is not just to beat Sam or to win the weight class it's to put myself on the same level as the 69 kilos of the world because um, I think they're all around that 540-ish range so my end game like all-time PR goal total to get in the next year year and a half is like 545. Um, so if the pro series doesn't play out, that could be a very real possibility for me. Um, cause I have always wanted to compete with Kristen again. Um, especially because she's been injured and it looks like she's doing super well. So, and I am finally raw <laughs> and not just equipped. So, she, uh, like Kelsey McCarthy was who I wanted to match up with in gear. She is by far one of the strongest women that I've ever seen ever and I competed with her and didn't know who she was at my very first collegiates um she and I had the two heaviest squats and then um she's just she's crazy so if I was going to go equipped it would be to compete with Kelsey and if I go raw it's either to compete on the world stage or with Kristen um nice. so those are my two goals there but like the TSS rack thing I I looked at TSS and people were in my DMs asking me about them and I was like did they not do, do people not know about this? I was like, I kind of just heard about it. I was like, I wasn't sure if these are the racks that they're going to use because they're not. Like TSS made, I think they made a lot of racks and they're just taking them straight there. So I know they updated like the uprights. So the uprights are like skinnier and the J hooks are fatter. And I was like, okay, good. That's really awesome from like a spotting and loading perspective because you can throw the collar on top and you don't have to like throw it on the ground and then find it. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I, I, I was like, I don't want to give you guys information if I'm not supposed to be because no one told me anything. I didn't know. They didn't even tell anyone when they switched out the benches. They're at TSS. And I was kind of thinking also, like, it's kind of a benefit if you train at a TSS because Houston has them. I don't know if Cloth has them. And then we have them here. So people were like, can I have a picture of it? And I was like, is it not on the website? I'm pretty sure if TSS is like wanting that information out they'll post it on their website because they want to sell them so i was i was confused i was like i yes we're i think they're getting new racks i think i still like i didn't see any official emails or anything that i was stressing out i was like am i supposed to tell people am i not i don't even i don't know it's not stressing me out a lot oh my god yeah it was trust me it's stressful for me too because some people hit me up like oh we heard steve like hints at it like what is it and like i was like i wasn't sure this was two weeks ago I was like I don't even know if it is officially this rack so I was like I don't want to say anything wrong and then we're all in awkward positions but whatever it is what it is <laughs> like we'll move on from that but hopefully they do better that was basically my last question for you though like what did you like what were your biggest goals for powerlifting outside of just this meet and it seems like it is you do want to compete on that world stage and also compete against Kristen Dunsmore um which is a humongous goal to have and I can definitely see you shooting for that because I mean you're improving a lot and decently quickly and you just started taking like raw as like your serious prerogative to only do so that's going to make such a big difference oh yeah yeah I'm super excited and I'm fully aware that there's going to come a point where I'm probably not going to be progressing as fast as I want to anymore um right now it's it's kind of like it's it's hit or miss um it, it's meat day stuff though it's not necessarily how my training's going um and part of that could be well, I think part of that for the Arnold was the mold. <laughs> I'm going to blame the mold. <laughs> also, I'm that, that first call on the man. squat, that was that, that was me. But um, Oh, wait, I don't know about that because I was still competing and finishing up at that time. So, like, what happened on the first squat? 
my first spot was fine. It, it went pretty good. The second one, I think went, I, when I, so I think I dropped my opener on spot from what I had initially wrote in my plan. And then we stuck with the plan on my second squat, which was like 12 keys higher. So it was like a 12 key jump. And I was like, that was not the plan. <laughs> like, that's not what we were, it was supposed to be a 10 key and then like a 10 or a seven key jump. I was like, oh, I messed up. I changed, I had them change the opener and then I forgot to adjust the second and third attempt on the spreadsheet. Mm. So then we did a 12 key jump and then a seven key jump and I seven keys was just too much after. I was like 182 moved great. I think putting 190, that was me being a little bit cocky and also not paying attention. So that's what that happened. And then, yeah, bench went, bench went beautifully. I, I could not be more proud of that bench. Yes, and you hit more than that in training already. So I'm I'm so stoked to see you compete. I'm honored to compete on the same platform as you, and I get like the best seat to everybody was going on that session. <laughs> I know, dude. I keep saying it's gonna be the best session of Ron that. There's some other big battles too, but like between having 67 and 75 and 82.5 men and 90 men, like that's gonna be the most exciting session of Mega Nationals. Like. I 100% agree. I'm upset that I'm not actually working that session. <laughs> I think I'm doing the, the session that I'm working because my schedule for this meet is super packed. So I get there on Wednesday. I have plans with my mom on Thursday night because I'm doing my judges stuff that morning and afternoon. And then I, you know, I'm not doing anything on Friday. And then on Saturday morning, I'm, I think I'm working the 110 and what, and the TSS booth. And <laughs> So I was asked about the TSS booth pretty recently. And I was like, I'm already doing the 110 booth. And then they were like, we can just have them move it to where it's right next to the other one. And I was like, like, thanks. That's great. That's the first thing that I do in the morning is work two booths at once. And then I do my, I work that session after to complete my judges um, process. And then what is it? Prime time. I think I'm just taking prime time off and I'm just going to sleep. Nice. No, I was like, that'll be the only like time that I have off to enjoy Vegas and then I fly out pretty early on Sunday girl you should put it at night or something so you can at least enjoy it for like a full like 20-ish hours I yeah I didn't plan that really well I was like I need to get back home because I got work on Monday morning <laughs> all right well you'll still enjoy it a little little bit <laughs> I mean is your mom does she always come with you when you compete she does not I did not let her go to Daytona um, he said I didn't let her. <laughs> I love my mom. Um, she's, she stresses me out a little bit because she's trying to be you know, super supportive. It's different than team sports where, so like, she's wanting to chat with me between lifts and like, sometimes I'll go like at collegiates. I went and I, I talked with her between, I think squad and bench or bench and deadlift, but like, like mom, this is game time. Like I'm a professional now. <laughs> like I need to go back there and like stay in my zone and I feel bad because they're there and for a spectator powerlifting meets can get boring she's picked a really good session to come watch me at like a good meet so she'll she'll have fun plus it's Vegas but yeah I didn't let her go to Daytona but she's coming to Vegas so we'll be we'll, well they're going they're taking me to a bar on Thursday and I was like I can't drink so I'm just gonna go into that it's the one where it's like frozen everywhere in and I was like I guess I can just experience it and like you know the the cold will be good for inflammation and all of that so it'll be fine 
Well, there you go. My mom comes to me to every meet, so I'm excited. I made plans for her for after I compete. She tried to get me to go out Thursday night, too. I said, Mom, like, she, she's, like, seeing a show on Thursday. I was like, I don't care if it's just sitting down watching. Like, I'm not doing nothing until I compete. Like, I'm going to lay down, watch this live, commentate Thursday, early morning, though, first session. But after that, I'm like, not doing anything until I can be and then after I can be like I plans with her and everybody else so I'm like all right like we'll have fun but like <laughs> my mom I like <laughs> I've trained her I've trained her I'm like mom before I compete you had to ask me minimal questions for the days before like if it's not necessary please don't ask me just like let me lay down just like <laughs> I can't like, and during the meet, like she tries to be in the front that's fine that's cool but she would never try to talk to me during because she <laughs> knows that'd be the end I'd be like I cut you off now I'm done we're done like <laughs> so yeah the Arnold was okay I think I sent them like progress like text in our like family group chat at the Arnold and then afterwards I think that was it and then I sent like my high school coach because I coach my high school coach now which is a weird a weird tidbit yeah Dwayne Young he's been competing in the USAPL since it was like initially like created because it was another federation before and then it transitioned into the uh, USAPL Um, so he's I don't think he's still a national judge because you have to judge at a national meet once a year in order to maintain your, you know, your spot as a national judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and we're getting paid. So I don't know if you're taking your test, but we get paid for working the sessions now. That's yeah. I saw that. I'm stoked about it. I, unfortunately, you have to be a state rep for two years and I've only okay. been a state rep for one full year now. So I will be definitely taking it next year, but I'm getting paid to commentate and I'm very thankful for that because that was not a thing as well before. And I'm like, if I, I even said, I was like, if they don't pay them to commentate, no one's going to want to do it because we're in Vegas. They're going to want to spend money as opposed mm-hmm. to sit there for a session for free. So like, as much as I love oh, this yeah. sport, I would probably just done like one, one commentating session and call it a day, but I'm doing more than one. I'm like, oh, okay, you're going to pay me. Okay. And I'll do more than one. <laughs> oh yeah. But 100%. I'm so glad that too. It's good. They're giving back people who are volunteering. They need to, because we are lacking volunteers. And so if you want people to do it, give them money. They have more money. We left the IPF. Pay us. Very or make it make it easier to figure out how to do your national judges stuff. I was I tried to take it last year and I could not for the life of me figure out how to submit, like where to submit it, where to like find the form to submit. So I figured it out this year. I, I contacted the technical committee and then he was awesome. He gave me all the stuff, but I was like, why is it this easier to find on the website? Yeah. Because I wanted to take it. Because one of the national judges that we had at TSS is IPF, um, so she's in Powerlifting America, and they told her she could not be judging at USAPL meets anymore, which sucks. But um, so I'm going to try to take her role. But Lynn, Lynn, uh, Lynn is awesome, but she can't she can't judge for us and help us out anymore. So now I have to do the drug tests and all of that fun stuff. Oh, sad face for Lynn, but dude, I have loved talking to you and I am so stoked to see you compete in seven days and be there with you (laughs) I'm so excited thank you you so much for joining me today of course thank you Solana yay and y'all I'll catch you next time on the power and lifting podcast thank you guys so much for listening please don't forget to subscribe rate and review this podcast and y'all if you're looking for coaching check the links in the show notes Solana Lewis training accepting new clients Fill out the application from the show notes and we will reach out to you.